This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Seventh day of March, 2023. A little, ble- <laughs> little bleary-eyed this morning. My wife had to be to work uh, really early. Um, she had to open the store this morning, so she had to be, you know, be up at 4.20. And uh, I got her up. I couldn't go back to sleep, so I've been up since about uh, oh five o'clock. I finally, I finally gave up and got up. So uh, I got an extra early start to the morning uh, this morning. Got a chance to watch all the early news shows and uh, early sports reports. And how about that thing out of Mexico? I mean, you just heard it on our news report here about uh, four people that supposedly just went down there um, to buy prescription medication. And that is much cheaper south of the border than it is here in the United States, and they got kidnapped. It sounds like it was. It sounds like it was a, a case of mistaken identity. Uh, who knows? But the bottom line is, is that there are now four Americans that are being held hostage uh, down in Mexico. And if it is mistaken identity, I'm sure whoever did it's trying to figure out how to get out of this without, you know, uh, getting arrested. So. Uh, but if I ever needed another reason not to go to Mexico, there it is. <laughs> I looked at Barbara when we were watching that in the news last night. I said, well, Mexico's never been a go-to place for me. Uh, never never really wanted to go there. It's, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's hope that they uh, they they are able to get them out and, and uh, everybody is okay. Um, so I... Uh, I watched uh, the Red Sox game, or actually I watched a little bit of the Red Sox game yesterday afternoon. Uh, It was a beautiful day here, so I had a bunch of things to do outside. But I wanted to see Chris Sale's first appearance on the mound for the Red Sox this spring. And watching uh, the game, I only watched uh, the first three innings. Uh, But it was a a case of the agony and the ecstasy. (laughs) It really was. Uh, The the good news is Chris Sale looked great. Two shutout innings. He hit 96 miles an hour on the radar gun. Uh, all smiles. His pitches all seem to be working. He gave up a couple of singles. One of them was right off the end of a bat on a, on a changeup. But he looked really good, you know. And um, you got to hope that the uh, all the freak accidents uh, in his life are now over. You know, of course, getting hit off the hand and then having the bike accident last year. Uh, look, you know, <clears throat> With uh, with Paxton straining that hamstring the other day, you know you need you need some of these veteran guys and, and Corey Kluber's been pretty good so far. They need Chris Sale. They need Chris Sale to be the ace he used to be. He doesn't have 80, 98, 99, 100 in the tank anymore. Like I said, he got it up to ninety six. That might be as high as he can get it. And he has said that 
he's more comfortable now, you know, working at, at lower down in the uh, in the nineties. And he said, "I, you know, I'll pop it when I need to." Which is, you know, hey, look, that's a great attitude to have. It's a veteran attitude, and uh, if if they can get more of that out of him, and look, is he going to win twenty games? Probably not. Is he going to pitch two hundred innings? Hell no. But if you can get between 25 and 30 starts out of Chris Sale this year, this Red Sox team uh, could be dangerous. The other interesting thing from the spring for me, well, actually, before we get to that, let's talk about the agony part of the game yesterday, and that was watching Justin Turner, the new Red Sox acquisition from the Los Angeles Dodgers, who signed a one-year contract with a player option for another year, got hit in the face by a pitch yesterday. I mean, it was sickening, and I am thankful for Nesson that they did not show any replays, but uh, Matt Manning threw a fastball. It came up and in, and it didn't hit the, it didn't hit the helmet. It hit his face. Immediately went to the ground, and you could just see blood pouring onto the dirt. And, uh, you know, the good news is is that he seems to be okay. Oh, well, 16 stitches later, he seems to be okay. Uh, his wife tweeted out uh, an update yesterday evening and thanking everybody who reached out, sent prayers, and he said that uh, they were home. He's resting. Uh, and he said 16 stitches and a lot of swelling, but they're thanking God there were no fractures and all the scans were clear. Uh, they're going to continue to watch it for any signs of concussion, but by and large, it looks like he dodged a major bullet yesterday. And I felt bad for Matt Manning, the pitcher from the Tigers. You know, you could see uh, how distraught he was. He later apologized for hitting... Turner, look, you know, look, here's, you don't have to apologize. You know, stuff happens. You know, it was hot down there. You know, maybe his fingers were slippery, whatever, and uh, he just lost control of the ball. And the, and the next batter that he faced, he threw a steady diet of curveballs. It, I think it took him like seven pitches after that to actually throw a fastball again. And it, natural. But fortunately, he's okay, um, you know. I'm sure it's uh, he, he's not going to want any pictures taken of himself anytime soon. But man, that was absolutely frightening. And and it, 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 when it happened, I'm just like, oh, you know what? What else is going to happen to this team? You know, with all with with the injuries, and you know, it's been bad enough with the pitching staff, and then with Trevor Story. And it's like, you know, if if Justin Turner's out for an extended period of time, a lot of the uh, the potency of this Red Sox offense goes away, but uh, hopefully he's back sooner rather than later. Uh, and hopefully getting hit there doesn't uh, cause him to change his approach at the plate. Look, there, it would be I, – I never got hit in the face. I took a couple off the coconut, you know, and I got hit, you know, but never in the face. And I, I don't know how – hell, I remember when I got hit off the helmet one time. And I got hit off the helmet with a curveball, okay? It wasn't even a fastball. But I remember getting hit off the helmet. And the next time I got up, I'm not going to lie, the next time I, I saw a curveball that was maybe a little bit inside, I was bailing. You know, and, and I mean, it's just human nature. 
So, you know, you have to hope that it uh, doesn't affect his psyche too much. But Justin Turner's been around the block a long time. He's 38 years old. I'm sure that uh, he has had uh, some close brushes. But, you know, most major leaguers go through their entire careers. Most high school and college players and everything go through their entire life never getting hit uh, in the head, let alone in the face. But, uh, again, hopefully uh, he is okay and, and uh, you know, we'll see uh, – you know how long how long he's out, but uh, the, the bottom line is uh, no facial fracture, which is great great news. Um, the other part of yesterday's game, the Red Sox win again. They beat the Tigers seven to one. Red Sox are undefeated. <laughs> That's funny. They're undefeated in spring training, and look, you can't get too excited about it. But at the same time, it gives you hope. Maybe it's false hope, but it gives you hope. You know, and this team has had some games in the spring where they've come back and won games late. Now it's been with guys that you, you couldn't pick out of a lineup, you know, uh, without a, a scorecard or without a, a program to, to look at the faces because you have no idea who these people are. But this team has showed some resiliency in the spring, which is great news, yeah, you know. It doesn't mean that it's going to translate into the regular season, but uh, Chad Finn pointed out this morning in the Boston Globe, you know, look, um, if you remember um, in uh, 2021, the Red Sox had the like the best record or the second best record in the Grapefruit League. And, you know, that was after an awful 2020 season that was the COVID year, uh, you know, but everybody wasn't really sure what to expect, but they then carried that success from spring training into April, went 17 and 10. You know, they ended up winning 92 games that year, you know, and, you know, got to the ALCS where they eventually lost, but they beat the Yankees and the Rays in the playoffs, you know? So, you know, you'd like to think that maybe they can carry some of this through. Now, I don't agree with Chad's uh, conclusion at the end of his story this morning. He said that the Red Sox have zero chance of winning a championship. I don't think you ever have zero chance. Look, the Boston Red Sox this year, with all their flaws and the fact that they let Xander Bogarts walk and the fact that they're relying on so an older pitching staff, et cetera, et cetera, even with all that, the Boston Red Sox are not the Pittsburgh Pirates. You could say the Pittsburgh Pirates have zero chance. The Oakland Athletics have zero chance. And there's a few other teams you could throw there, like the Reds, probably the Royals, that have zero chance. I know the Red Sox play in the American League East, but they still have talent on it. They still have Rafi Devers. They still have Justin Turner, who is a proven winner. You know, Justin Turner is a guy that spent nine years with the Dodgers and had some huge hits for them and is a great leader. They still have Tristan Cassis, who a lot of people think are, is going to be a perennial all-star. I mean, you know, let's not get too excited about that yet. He's got to prove it. They still have Kike Hernandez, who had a down year offensively last year, but has looked really good defensively. They have Adam Duvall, who's got a lot of pop. Now, he's never been a center fielder full-time in the major leagues, but this is a guy that we know can tear the cover off the ball. You know, the Atlanta Braves would have loved to have had him back. You know, but he's a guy that's got history of being able to, you know, carry a team for a while. And you put him and Turner around Rafi Devers, they're going to be okay. 
So I wouldn't say they have zero chance. Now, I'm also not saying, you know, they're a lock to make the playoffs. But I'd like to think that what they've done so far this spring uh, has an opportunity to carry through to the regular season. Now, we'll see what happens. Again, it's going to depend on guys like Paxton, who, by the way, was playing catch from his knees yesterday, uh, three days after he left a game with a hamstring injury that's been diagnosed as a grade one, which isn't awful. So they're going to try to keep the arm in shape until he's ready to go. It's probably going to cost him a week or ten days. Uh, Brian Bayo is going to throw a bullpen today. Uh, Garrett Whitlock has been participating in uh, in fielding practice, and he is getting closer to getting on a mound. So you know they're 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 getting closer to getting healthy. You know we'll see what happens with Paxton. He may be the biggest wild card of those three old timers with Sale and Paxton and Kluber. You know, but again, you know, you it's not like. You know, they're, the American League East is tough, you know, and there is no doubt that the, the Yankees have a tough pitching staff. The uh, the Rays pitching staff is always good. You know, and Toronto, whether their pitching staff is good or not, can just flat-out mash the baseball. But they're dealing with injuries themselves. Vlad Guerrero Jr. had to skip the World Baseball Classic with a balky knee, and if that's something that bothers him all season, you know, who knows? So, you know, I don't I don't agree that they have no chance, but – I would like to think that this success so far has a chance to carry over. So we'll see. Um, the other thing that we saw, we've seen this spring, is the cutting down on the shifting seems to be making a difference. It seems like we're seeing more hits this spring that wouldn't have been hits last year because of all the shifts. You know, look, it's early, but batting averages in spring training for the first 10 days, are up from last year. Uh, Lefties, uh, they are the ones that were the most frequent targets of the infield shifting. Their batting averages are up 19 points from last year. So uh, scoring is up in spring training from last year by almost a run a game. So it seems at least early that it's making a difference. And I think we're going to see as we get deeper into spring training and then into the regular season, and it's just the regulars playing every day or playing most of the time, I think we're going to see that be even more dramatic. You know, the eggheads, you know, the analytics guys want to say, well, you know, we don't really think that it's going to make that big a difference. I disagree, and it, it Again, the early evidence shows that it is. And there's going to be some teams that are going to try to figure ways to get around this. We saw the Red Sox already pull this off this year, where when Joey Gallo was up when they were playing the Twins, they had just two outfielders. And then they moved their center fielder, Duval into shallow right field, back where the second baseman maybe would have been playing before when they were allowed the shift. But now with two infielders having to stay on either side of second base, you, you may see some teams try to play a two-outfield uh, situation, assuming that a guy is going to hit the ball into the shallow right field, a lefty, especially a guy like Joey Gallo, who is a dead pull hitter. And that part of it hasn't been outlawed. It's just the infield part of it that's been outlawed. If you want to take the chance by playing two outfielders and having an awful lot of room out there if the ball is lifted in the air, you know, I guess Major League Baseball said have at it. 
So, but the early evidence is is that it's making a difference, and I, I'm glad about that. And I'm glad you know the pitch clock thing is just I am. Every day I watch a game, I am more and more happy with that. It is turning baseball back into the way baseball used to be, the pace of play. You know, we still I don't know if we're still going to be able to get back to getting away from the launch angle, you know, and, and, and all the strikeouts and all the walks, but the hope is that you will. But even if you don't, at least the game is moving. The one thing I am – a little annoyed about it, and I said this from the beginning, I was worried that the uh, TV networks were going to put the pitch clock on your screen, and you're going to see it every pitch. And there's been a mixed bag. ESPN has it on there the entire time in any game I've seen on there. A couple of the other regional games I watched have had it. Nesson has said that what they're going to do and I guess this is a decent compromise, although I still don't like it, is that where they usually show in the upper left-hand corner the score and the number of pitches the pitcher has thrown, what they're going to do is when the pitch clock gets to 10, they're going to go away from the pitch count number, and you'll see the pitch clock counting down from 10 from there. Uh, I, I guess that's okay. I mean, it's kind of like the, the play clock in the NFL. I guess we'll get used to it. But I don't want to spend a lot of time looking at the clock, you know, and, 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 and maybe maybe I'm worrying about nothing, and maybe after I get used to it, it'll be, it won't bother me. But uh, it, it makes me anxious for whatever reason. You know, it's like I don't want to be sitting there rooting for the opposing pitcher to not get the ball in play quick enough. You know what I mean? I'm still in favor of, you know, maybe giving them a, the first time giving somebody a warning. You know, and then, you know, see what happens. I mean, even Chris Sale, who's a fast worker, had a pitch clock violation yesterday. And this is a guy that was one of the faster workers in Major League Baseball. So I don't want to be looking at a clock, but I think, unfortunately, uh, the networks are going to uh, force us to do that. So, anyway, uh, other games in spring training yesterday. The Yankees uh, win again. They beat the Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh, there's a shock. Even whether it's uh, – Regular season, spring training doesn't make any difference. The good news, if you're a Yankee fan, Aaron Judge hit his first home run. Uh, DJ LeMahieu having a good spring. Uh, it seems that that foot injury that hampered him last year, he said it is fully healed. Well, DJ LeMahieu looked pretty good yesterday as well. Went two for three, drove in a couple of runs, so the Yankees got to be thrilled about that. Domingo Herman got the start. Three shutout innings. He only gave up one hit, uh, struck out four. Uh, so he is looking pretty good in his progression. Uh, he is probably going to be uh, the guy that is going to get the ball in the third game for the Yankees. So uh, he looked pretty good, you know. If, and the Pirates are just the Pirates, and it just doesn't matter when you play the Pirates; they are still going to stink. Uh, other games to take a look at around Major League Baseball: the Dodgers beat the Padres eight to three. This is going to be one that, uh, again, it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of difference yesterday. Uh, but if you're the Dodgers, uh, you're happy. Noah Syndergaard, a guy you picked up as a free agent, three shutout innings, three perfect innings, as a matter of fact. Uh, he struck out two. Um, they only gave up one hit to the Padres all day yesterday. Uh, but, again, it's spring training. Uh, but uh, And you didn't exactly have a representative lineup for the Padres in there. They didn't have most of their regulars playing. Uh, I mean, Grisham was in there. Tatis Jr. was in there. Who isn't going to be able to play at the start of the regular season as he finishes out um, uh, his suspension for uh, the drug violation? 
Uh, but most of the other regulars did not play in the game yesterday, so you can't take too much away from that. But, again, the Dodgers have to be happy uh, with the way uh, Noah Syndergaard looked yesterday. Uh, the Phillies took it on the chin again. The Phillies not having the greatest spring. They are giving up an awful lot of runs in spring training. They gave up 10 yesterday to the Baltimore Orioles. They lose 10-7. Again, can't get too excited, but if you're the Orioles trying to replicate your success that you had last year. A lot of people doubtful that they can do it again. Not sure they're going to have the pitching uh, to do that. But if uh, early indications look pretty good. Uh, the, the Really the only blemish in yesterday's game for them was Austin Voth, who was pitched for the uh, Washington Nationals last year, who was just brutal. Well, it was pretty brutal yesterday, too, for the uh, Baltimore Orioles. Uh, but Adley Rutschman, the young catcher, a couple of more hits yesterday for the Orioles. He has looked pretty good early in spring training as well. Uh, the Astros got whacked around by the Cardinals yesterday. Uh, Flaherty pitched for the Cardinals. One of their top starters looked pretty good. Three innings, just one hit and uh, one run. And uh, they only allowed uh, – there was not a lot of hits in this game, to be honest with you. They, uh, I think uh, the Astros only had three, and I think the uh, Cardinals only had uh, seven hits in the entire game. Uh, but the Cardinals win that one 7-1. Um, the Angels shut out the Cleveland Guardians six nothing. Um, Aaron Savali, kid from East Windsor, Connecticut, a couple of innings yesterday as he uh, comes back from an injury. Griffin Canning got the start for the Angels, looked pretty good. Uh, Angels pitchers uh, and the Angel pitching staff not their strong suit, but they only give up five hits yesterday as they shut out uh, the Angels six nothing. Mike Trout having a so-so spring went 0 for two. Uh, yesterday, Mike Trout uh, getting ready to uh, gear up for the World Baseball Classic. He will play for uh, Team USA. By the way, the World Baseball Classic actually kicks off uh, tonight, uh, eleven o'clock tonight. It'll be on uh, FS1. Uh, I will not be <laughs> I will not be staying up to watch that. But Cuba uh, will be playing the Netherlands. These uh, the pool Pool A is going first. Those games are in Taiwan. Uh, it's Chinese Taipei, Netherlands, Cuba, Italy, and Panama. In Pool A, they begin tonight. Uh, and then on Thursday, Pool B will start play as well, where Japan, Korea, Australia, China, and the Czech Republic will play. But uh, uh, Cuba and the Netherlands tonight, and then play the games tomorrow. All those games will be on the Fox Networks, either FS1 or FS2. The entire tournament uh, will be available either through Fox or through MLB TV. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. The USA is in Pool C with Mexico, Colombia, Canada, and Great Britain. They do not begin play until March 11th, which I believe is, what, Saturday. Uh, so we've got a, little, a, little, a few days to wait for the U.S. to get things going. Uh, and then, of course, the semifinals uh, and the finals will be in Miami. Uh, and, look, the Red Sox have, I think, eight or nine guys playing in the World Baseball Classic. And if you are Bloom and Alex Cora and, you know, the Red Sox organization, all you're doing through this is, I mean, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun for the fans, I guess. But if you're Cora and the Red Sox, you're holding your breath, right? Because, you know, you're going to have Rafi Devers and, and uh, Kike Hernandez and guys like that, you know, playing for other teams and just praying to God nothing happens uh, where they get hurt. You know, and every team around Major League Baseball is the same way. But the Red Sox have a higher uh, number of guys playing in the World Baseball Classic, I think, than any other team in baseball. I could be wrong, but I think the Red Sox have the most. It is 29 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to talk some college basketball. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 
Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. 31 minutes past the hour here on a Tuesday morning. We talked uh, yesterday about the suspension of uh, Mark Adams, the head coach at Texas Tech, um, after his uh, absolutely idiotic uh, comments to a player and using a Bible verse to reference uh, masters and slaves. <laughs> not not a wise move, but uh, Texas Tech has named Corey Williams as their interim coach uh, for this uh, tournament. Look, at the end of the day, uh, what does this mean? Well, it means that uh, Mark Adams is out. There is no question about that. Um, you know, and Corey Williams is a guy that um, has been an assistant coach for a couple of years with the Red Raiders. He's got head coaching experience at Stetson. Uh, he was an assistant at Arkansas for a couple of years. Uh, the fact that they have named Williams as the interim coach means that Mark Adams is going to be out of a job. They didn't just say, hey, Corey Williams is going to run the team until his suspension's over. They've named him interim coach. So now it's just going to be a matter of depending. I don't know how long the contract is that Adams has, but this is going to be a matter of uh, Texas Tech lawyers getting together with Mark Adams' lawyers and figuring out what the exit strategy is going to be. Uh, but Mark Adams, at 66 years of age, is going to be out of a job, and he is probably never going to coach again uh, in college basketball. Uh, and look, I- I'm not saying Mark Adams is a racist. He's been around for a long, long time. But there is no doubt that was one of the dumbest things in the history of dumb things ever to do. And as I said yesterday, it's just, you know, sometimes you just got to think before you speak or before you type and hit enter on a keyboard. It's just, you know, it's just idiocy. Or he may be a flat-out racist. I, I, but there has been, you know, he's been around a long time and has coached in, in a few places, and there's never been any inkling of that before. But, hey, you know, at 66 years of age, I'm 63. I've lost a little off my fastball. Maybe that's, you know, maybe maybe Adams is, uh, you know, as we get older, we older folks sometimes don't even care anymore what we say, right? We just speak our mind. Uh, so, you know, but whatever. It looks like Mark Adams is going to be out of a job at Texas Tech. Uh, as Corey Williams will take over for the Big 12 tournament. Uh, The AP Top 25 polls came out yesterday. Uh, Not much changes at the top anyway. Houston remains number one. At least we have a number one team that's going to hang around for more than a week. Uh, they got 58 of the 61 first-place votes. Uh, The the big mover came with uh, UCLA uh, moving up from number four to number two they got three first place votes at 27 and four pretty good for a pac-12 school that doesn't usually get a lot of respect uh in the ap poll alabama uh who uh, uh lost this week drops to number four kansas remains number three despite a loss uh to texas this week uh as far as the big east goes yukon moves up to number 11 from number 14 uh, marquette the top team in the big east sits at number six the same as they were uh, last week, uh, UConn moved up from 14 to 11. Uh, Xavier in the top 25 as well. They are at number 19. And Creighton jumps into the top 25 uh, to, at number 24. And uh, Duke also jumps into the top 25 after that win over North Carolina. Duke now 23-8, and eight, and they move into the number 21 spot uh, in the top 25 poll. As far as the women's side goes, South Carolina number one for the 30th. Seventh straight week, they get all 28 
first place votes. No shock there. Uh, the biggest mover this week, though, is Iowa, who absolutely ran through the Big Ten tournament. I mean, it wasn't. They beat the crap out of everybody. Uh, they beat Ohio State by 33 points in the title game. They move up from number seven to number two. Uh, Indiana was number two. They dropped to uh, number three. Virginia Tech, four. Stanford, five. Maryland, six. UConn moves up from number nine to number seven. And after what UConn did in the Big East tournament this week, um, I expect when the final AP poll comes out on Monday, uh, UConn is going to move up from that as well. I don't see any way now that the tournament doesn't give UConn a number two seed. I don't think they can get a number one seed unless something really funky happens. Uh, I think UConn, though, will be a number two seed. Uh, they absolutely destroyed Villanova last night. It, 67-56 was the final, an 11-point victory. It wasn't that close. UConn led by as much as 25. Um, they never allowed uh, Villanova to get in. This was a fairly tight game for up until about the middle of the second quarter. And then UConn opened up a 10-point lead at the half and then came out at the start of the third quarter and just blew this game wide open. Uh, in the three games in the Big East tournament, UConn won them by an average of 23 points. Uh, they are playing their best basketball, and there is no uh, there's no coincidence, folks. Uh, AZ Fudd is back after missing about, I would she miss, 18 games this year with a knee injury. Caroline Ducharme, who missed a dozen games with a concussion. There is no coincidence that those players are back on the court and UConn is playing its best basketball. You know, and, and if you're the rest of the, the women's college basketball field, and I know you don't want to root for opponents on other teams to get injured, but just think, if UConn had a healthy Paige Beckers and had a healthy Ice Brady and still had the rest of this lineup, that you know what they would be? They would be South Carolina because they would be the deepest team in the country. Paige Beckers is a former – she was the national player of the year as a freshman and has dealt with injuries ever since then. But if, if they were healthy, oh, my God. Uh, and the way Aaliyah Edwards is playing uh, – Edwards was named the MVP of the tournament. She had uh, – 19 points and 15 rebounds last night. She averaged 19 points and 13 rebounds a game in the three games. Uh, so she was great. And the But the key to this game last night, and I watched most of it, uh, was their defense. Maddie Seagrest, who was the, uh, the player of the year in the Big East this year. She's the nation's leading scorer. Uh, she's averaging 29 a game. UConn held her to 22 points, but it wasn't the fact. I mean, they held her seven points below her average, which you know, which is great, but it's not that significant. But the difference was is that every shot she put up was contested. She shot nine for 22 from the field. Uh, she just could not get on track yesterday, and when she did get a shot off and missed, it was one and done. Uh, UConn again, with the exception of a a um, a sequence late in the first quarter when I think uh, Villanova got like three straight offensive rebounds. Outside of that, UConn absolutely dominated the boards. I mean, they outscored Villanova in the paint yesterday 2-1. to one. I mean, they just – they had their way. So, if – you know, and there is no team right now that wants to play UConn. Nobody. You know, and, uh, you know, look, when they lost – um. 
late in the season. I thought and to a to a the you know to a bad team and then they almost lost to uh the worst team in the Big East this year late in the season only beat the worst team in the Big East uh by a hand, handful of points. I thought this team was absolute toast. I I was like, "You know what? If you if you can only beat Xavier by 9 points in your building, it would not have shocked me if UConn went into the tournament and lost in the first round. Now, I would be surprised. I honestly will be surprised as long as they stay healthy if UConn doesn't make it to the Final Four. If they do, it would be their 15th straight Final Four. I think I'll be shocked if that doesn't happen. I really will. Um, pro basketball last night. This was one for the books. And look, uh, the Celtics lose last night in overtime to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, let's understand that the Celtics played this game without Jason Tatum and without Al Horford, and they are coming off of a double overtime loss to the New York Knicks the day before. So, they're, you know, and they had to go on the road to play at Cleveland, so they were tired. So the fact that they lost the game isn't necessarily surprising. However, it's the way they lost it. Look, they had an 11-point lead with six minutes to go, right? And then Donovan Mitchell ties it up with a couple of free throws with six seconds left in the game. And then Cleveland fouls Grant Williams with .8 seconds left on the clock in a tie game in the fourth quarter. Grant Williams is an 83% free throw shooter. 83%. All he's got to do is make one, and the Celtics win this game. He missed them both. That was, and, and it, it was not even, that's not even it. He told, as he's going to the line, Donovan Mitchell's kind of chirping at him a little bit, and Grant Williams told him three times that he was not going to make just one. He was going to make them both. <laughs> yep, he clanked them both. A tap-in attempt by Marcus Smart uh, didn't go in as well, and the Celtics lose for the third straight game. Second straight game, they lose in overtime. They now fall two games behind the Milwaukee Bucks for best record in the Eastern Conference. At the rate things are going, um, it's kind of uh, looking like if they're going to get to the NBA Finals again, they're going to have to go through Milwaukee again in Milwaukee with the home court advantage. Celtics are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. The Bucs have won 9 of the last 10. And they've got the Knicks breathing down their necks. They're only two games clear of the Philadelphia 76ers now. Uh, you know, uh, if you are a Celtics fan, uh, you're getting a little jelly-legged right now. You're getting a little bit nervous about how this Celtics team is going to finish out the season. Uh, and, and for the following reasons. Look, they lost on Friday to the Nets. They had a 28-point lead in that game and lost. They had a 14-point lead in the third quarter against the Knicks and lost. And then an 11-point lead with with, uh, six minutes, 
Six minutes to go? Yeah. 11-point lead was six minutes to go yesterday and lost. So their inability to close out games, and I know they didn't have Jason Tatum. I get it. I know they didn't have Al Horford. I get it. But Jalen Brown's still a pretty good player, and he had 13 points, or 32 points, 13 rebounds, and nine assists. And Malcolm Brockton was pretty damn good as well, had 24 points. The problem is, is that nobody else really helped out. Marcus Smart, meh. Not a great game. Grant Williams played well. For, in 16 minutes, he had 12 points, but he should have had 14 points, or at least 13, and won the game for them. You know, but. They have to be able to finish out games better than that. Or they're going to find themselves not only uh, play, not only worried about the Bucks, they might have to start worrying about the teams below them like the 76ers and like the Knicks. 45 minutes past you. Yeah, we're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call on a Tuesday morning. Hey, a programming note, no show tomorrow. Um, I'm in the middle, or not in the middle, I'm just in the beginnings of making a, a new coop uh, for my chickens. And uh, we've got like four days of rain coming in, and I want to have a chance to get this thing at least closed in. Uh, this is like a little palace I'm building them. It's unbelievable, the, the things I do. Um, but well, So I'm going to need to spend as much time as I can outside tomorrow, so I want to get an early start. So we're not going to have a show tomorrow. I'll be here on Thursday and Friday, but uh, I need to take advantage of the sunshine and the warm weather these next couple of days to try to get a lot of this coop done. Um, so, uh, uh, But we will, see, we will see you again on Thursday. Uh, we have some NFL news. Uh, Derek Carr, the former Las Vegas Raiders quarterback, has a new team. He just signed a four-year contract with, or actually he hasn't signed it yet, but he's agreed to a new four-year contract with the New Orleans Saints, a deal that is going to be worth around $150 million. So about, what, is that $35 million a year? No, it's about $37.5 million a year. So nice work if you can get it. Uh, look. Carr played nine years for the Raiders. He holds their, you know, their team records for passing yards, touchdown passes. Um, but it's a guy that can't win in the playoffs, you know, and that has been the knock on him. And the Raiders, with their, their new coach, has decided that they're going to draft a quarterback this year and they're going to go in a different direction. Um, you can't blame them. Because, you know, it was one of those things where, look, it was bad enough that they benched him for the last two games of the season. And they released him back on uh, Valentine's Day because if they hadn't, uh, they would have been hit for a $40 million uh, whack on their their salary cap because the last two years of his contract would have become fully guaranteed. That's the one thing in the NFL – most money is not guaranteed. So you can sign a contract for a certain amount, but it's not guaranteed money, and your team has the right to release you, and that's what the Raiders did. So now he will be in New Orleans, 32 years old. And, uh, you know, look, the, the last time the Raiders signed a free agent quarterback, or the Saints signed a free agent quarterback, they did pretty well. They signed Drew Brees, if you remember, uh, who led them to a Super Bowl and to the playoffs year after year after year. Um, Drew Brees was a winner. 
And Derek Carr has shown the ability to win in the regular season, but he's got to be able to show it in the playoffs. And look, this is uh, uh, this could work. Dennis Allen, the head coach of the Saints, was on the Raiders' staff when they drafted Derek Carr out of college. So they have familiarity with each other. He helped develop Derek Carr, and now uh, Dennis Allen, in his second head coaching stint, uh, he didn't do, do too well with the Raiders, went 8-28. and 28. But uh, the second chance he got New Orleans, and look, New Orleans was 7-10 and 10 last year. Uh, their defense was really, really good, but their offense was not. They were a turnover machine, and it didn't help that, you know, they didn't have a quarterback. With Drew Brees' retirement, they were left with Jameis Winston. Well, Jameis Winston gets hurt the first game of the season, tries to play a couple of more games after that. He's not right. They have they ended up going to Andy Dalton, and he just wasn't, you know, or not, not Andy Dalton. Uh, uh, t- they went with Taysom Hill. You know, they tried different combinations. And so, you know, and look, Jameis Winston is under contract for two more years, but they're going to release him because they're not going to pay him uh, $12.8 million, Jameis Winston, to be a backup quarterback. So uh, Derek Carr headed to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Geno Smith, who was one of the great stories of the NFL last year, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, agreed to a new contract with the Seahawks for three years uh, that could be worth up to $105 million. Uh, look, Seattle was going to have to make a decision whether to, you know, whack, you know, hit him with the franchise tag, which would, uh, you know, kind of force their hand. But they decided to negotiate a new contract with him. Uh, look, he was an All-Pro last year, threw for 4,300 yards, 30 touchdown passes, only 11 interceptions. Uh, he led the NFL in completion percentage at 69.8. And this is a guy that's been a career backup, with the exception of one year. Uh, in 2014, when he was a starter with the Jets, he spent a backup with the Giants and the Chargers uh, before coming to Seattle to back up Russell Wilson. Now gets the job this year and does a great job. You know, nine and eight record, and uh, you know, again, get him a little bit more help, and they have a chance to get him some help. They have two first round selections in next month's draft, including the number five overall pick. So, you know, that this probably guarantees they won't take a quarterback, but maybe they can get Geno Smith a little bit more help and uh, uh, help their uh, new their new newly minted three-year contract quarterback uh, do better. The Cowboys have decided to uh, put the franchise tag on Tony Pollard. Uh, if he signs that, it's a one-year contract worth $10 million. Uh, he was at the end of his four-year rookie deal. Uh, but if he, if they do do that, they have until July 15th to come to terms on a longer contract. Um, and, and look, you know, he had a great season. He rushed for over 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns, also caught 39 passes out of the backfield, um, got hurt in the playoff game in a division round of the playoffs. He, he broke his left fibula. Uh, but he is supposed to be ready for the start of training camp. And now the Cowboys are going to have to decide what they do about Zeke Elliott. Uh, he's set to make $10.9 million next season and a cap hit of more than six or 16 and a half. Um, now, he has said that he would be willing to take a pay cut 
to stay with the Cowboys. But, uh, look, he's uh, had a bum knee last year, rushed for only 876 yards. He still had 12 rushing touchdowns, but he is not the guy he used to be. And you wonder if maybe the Cowboys might be ready to move on from Zeke Elliott. We'll see. And then the other big thing that uh, uh, is going to have to be decided today, what the Ravens are going to do with Lamar Jackson. If they try to slap him with the franchise tag, there's a lot of people inside there that are saying that he will refuse to play on a franchise tag, which, by the way, a franchise tag would pay him just $32 million. Poor guy. But, you know, he wants a deal uh, similar to what Deshaun Watson has from Cleveland. $45 million and guaranteed money for five years. And, you, look, there's no question he is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's been hurt, and there is some question about uh, whether he was dogging it so that he wouldn't have to play this season, the end of the season, when you know they had a chance uh, for the playoffs, and he didn't, you know, he just said, ah, no, I can't play. This has the, uh, this has the makings of getting very, very ugly. So we shall see. I don't think he will play on a franchise tag, and I think he'll sit out and maybe have to miss a season. But, you know, and if you are the Ravens then, then the question is, is do you try to move him? To be continued. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Thursday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Going to leave you this morning with a with a different kind of tune. This is the if you remember the movie that thing you do it was uh, uh, directed and produced by Tom Hanks. It was about a a fictional band. Well, Rolling Stone magazine recently came out with a list of the top fifty songs that were ever uh, put out that were strictly for a movie or a TV show. There were things on there like uh, from the Partridge Family. I think I love you. There was a song by the Brady Bunch. Uh, and then some, you know, songs from different movies. Uh, the movie uh, uh, A Star is Born, the remake they made with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, uh, the song Shallow that I'm sure everybody's heard by now, that was number three on their list of 50. The number one song was this one by The Wonders. It's called That Thing You Do. A little bit of a surprise. I actually would have picked Shallow myself. But uh, So on the way out, just for the heck of it, here's The Wonders and That Thing You Do. We'll see you on Thursday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.